Are you a good witch or a bad Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm a Texas mom whose last name means the area between a man's balls and his asshole. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm a sweaty spellbook with feelings who just made some new best friends. Siren Rex Fry. And this is a podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Today we are talking about Hocus Pocus 2, which literally just fucking came out. It just fucking came out. (laughs) According to IMDb, Hocus Pocus 2 rated 6.1 out of 10 and is summarized as two young women accidentally bring the Sanderson sisters to modern day Salem and must figure out how to stop the child hungry witches from wreaking havoc on the world. Wow. If you just change that to cock hungry witches, it could kind of be about us. It could, but pity (laughs) the fool who tries to stop us. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So this is, like, the best movie I've ever seen. (laughs) I'm just gonna say it. I love it. I love everything about this movie. I have watched it seven times. Listen, I'm not gonna sit here and trash the movie the whole time. Because I did have a lot of fun watching it. There were things about it that I really liked. But to say that it's the best movie I've ever seen would be a gross oversight about the things about this movie that are just not good. So... That's a thing. (laughs) So that's a thing. Phoenix and I fundamentally disagree on all of this. Of course, I'm correct and he's not. But here at Witch Bitches Review, all viewpoints are valid. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. We'll see. We'll see about that. We'll see what... I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people agree with me, Siren. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people agree with me, but... It's fine. You know, I usually feel that way. (laughs) So... Yeah, well, I mean, that happens when the only person that you ever hear talking is yourself. Yes, I do that on purpose. I am very wise. You know, this is a sequel, and you may have listened to our episode Mean Slutty Stupid Witches, where we talked about the original. And if you haven't, you should totally go do that, because honestly, it's, I think, one of both of our favorites. It was a really good episode, yeah. It was. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time rehashing the original for you. You know, we already did that. That being said, there are a lot of moments in this film that pay homage to the original. So of course, we're going to talk about that. But I don't want to just give you the rundown on who the sisters are again. Been there, done that. Moving on. There's a lot of things in this movie that are like little nuggets from the first one. And there's just no way that we could talk about all of them. Like I just I just watched it before we started recording. And I noticed in the like flash mob scene, there is a lady dressed like the Madonna that Max's mom was dressed as. <laughs> Like, okay, I did not even see that. That's amazing. Yeah, so there's just like little stuff like that all over that we just we can't take the time to point out because we'll be here all day. No, and there's so many jokes. There's like 800 million jokes. Can't talk about all of them. They're all worth the watch. I I would definitely say that this movie is worth watching, especially if you like the original. But I can also see like one of my partners, um, Hocus Pocus is his favorite movie of all time. He doesn't want to watch the sequel because he knows that it's not going to make him happy. And I can understand that viewpoint, too. So in the opening few scenes of the movie, we get a little backstory on the origin of the Sanderson sisters. Yes. I just want to point out that when I was writing this outline, I repeatedly spelled the word burb, B-I-R-B, because that's the correct way to talk about birds, Phoenix. And you corrected it 
I did correct it because it's Every stupid. <laughs> but what, you just don't understand anything. You don't understand this obscure Japanese meme I saw one time. Anyway, there's a burb. <laughs> the, yes, a bird flies over Salem, and we're told that it's the year 1653. Where is Thomason? I need to know. Is this... Where is Thomason? When was Thomason? Where was is this in 1653? I don't know. Is this happening at the same time? Are the Sanderson sisters the witches of the woods who killed Mercy and Jonas? <gasps> oh my god, yes! <laughs> oh my god, it's canon! <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the 2015 Robert Eggers film and Hocus Pocus 2 take place in the same universe. Winnie, we learn, has just turned 16 and is upset because she's told by Reverend Trask that she has to marry John Pritchett, who calls her ugly and unpleasant. And I just want to say, and I will say this again later, but I pretty much predicted the entirety of the Sanderson sisters' backstory in our first episode on Hocus Pocus. You did, and... So I feel like we have different opinions about that already. I love it. When I watched the opening scene and I saw them do almost everything that we talked about should have happened, that made me happy. And for some reason, it doesn't make you happy. It made me feel like it was predictable. Predictable by a film analysis gay witch, maybe. But do you typically expect the mainstream media to do the things that we want? <sighs> no. <laughs> So, yes, the elements that I predicted are there, but it doesn't necessarily play out in a way that I find that entertaining. With the Sanderson sisters, I I understand why. It happens very quickly, and there's a lot that we're meant to just already know and interpret. And because those are characters that we have met before, this is just them in the past, I understand why it is that way. So on my first initial watch, on my first initial watch, I did not think that the three young actresses were doing that great of a job. Oh, wow. But now that I have watched it several more times, I disagree with myself about that. I think they did a wonderful job. Okay, and these child actresses are awesome. They're all selling it. Their names are Taylor Henderson, Nina Kitchen, and Juju Journey Brenner. That's the stupidest fucking name name I've ever heard. That is the stupidest name. name. Okay, I'm sorry. Your name is Phoenix Arcana Lightwood, so I'm gonna need you to take several seats. Uh, Bitch, I named myself That girl's parents hate her. Whatever. You're so negative. I think these actresses are killing it. And I think the scene gives me everything I wanted from the backstory. And, you know, the original began with a back with a flashback in Salem that informed how the rest of the movie took place. So they're just doing that again. But we get more backstory on the Sandersons. And I love it. We learn so much about them. We learn why Winnie is sensitive about being called old and ugly. Yes, we did get a lot of backstory. Um, And we do learn why... Winnie is sensitive about being called ugly. It's because the last person that called her ugly is the reason that she got banished from her home. So cool. Love that. Um, Also, I think John Pritchett is gay. Um, I mean, probably. But I, as a gay teenager in Salem, would have loved to marry Winifred because, you know, she's obviously not interested. So then I can just go out and, like, fuck the local farm boys behind the haystack. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely... It it was the, um, what did he say? Thank God or praise God or something. It was just the way that he, like, said that and then, like, fell back into the townspeople. That made me be like, that boy is a faggot. You think that about every boy that you see. Well, yeah, because I don't know how else to say it, but most people are kind of gay. So the Reverend and the townsfolk gather outside the Sanderson's home, where we learn that apparently their parents are dead, so relatable content. And the 
The Reverend gives Winnie a chance to apologize for her behavior. And when she doesn't, he banishes her. And there's somebody in the back that yells out, teeth of the devil. And it made me laugh. There's someone else who says, this This is the line that sticks out the most for me of the whole intro. There's a, an old woman who says she can't speak that way to a man. <laughs> that lady gets some screen time, but teeth of the devil lady, that's just like a off screen scream um but i find that a lot funnier i also find when the the spider is on the reverend he screams out eight legs of sin but the thing about the reverend this actor um is overdoing it in every single scene that he's in he is doing far too much to the point where it's like satirical and I don't really care for that. Because that's not the that's not like the vibe that I want. The first one, and I'm not gonna do that thing where we just like compare the two movies the whole time. The first one the first one was like camp. This is like just bad. <laughs> um, I mean, well, I don't agree with any of that either. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's he He's just doing too much. Oh, I don't I don't disagree with that. I just I feel like that's what we're here for. Everyone's doing too much. Did you even watch the original? Yes, I Phoenix? Yes, like- I did. I watched it several times and I told you that I didn't like it all that much when I watched it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um Okay. But that's not what I'm here for. Yes, like I want the Sanderson sisters to be really camp, and they are. I don't need that from everybody else in the movie. Well, all I can say about that is I I think that the Reverend is just kind of matching their vibe. Um, but that that's and... not the point. That's not what the character is supposed to be. Yeah, but think about like the, you know, in the first movie, there was like a witch hunting mob and we like don't like them and they're like portrayed as the good guys. And we were like super grossed out by that. And that's not what's happening here. At least. No, he's portrayed as like a, a dumbass. I, ju- I just don't, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And I also, I don't think this timeline is entirely accurate. Because if they die in 1693, that's only 40 years. And they look a lot older than 40s and late 50s when they kill Emily in the first movie. That is true. They were all decrepit. You're right. And I mean, granted, it was the 1600s and they didn't, you know, have Botox. So like, they could have been that decrepit and gross by 50, maybe. Yeah. You know, a woman can be as decrepit as she wants to be. You can be a decrepit old hag at any age. Yes, I'm doing it now in my 30s. (laughs) Well, there's one thing that we agree on. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. God, you're so boring. So let's go to the woods and meet Mother Witch. Okay, this is another thing that I didn't like. You don't like Mother Witch. I don't like Mother Witch. I think it's a little bit unnecessary. What I would have preferred, I will give you a little nugget. I would have liked them maybe to have always been the town witches. We don't get the vibe that this is their mom, the way that they refer to her later. She gives them the book and then she disappears. And there's no understanding of like what happens after that. But then they reference mother so much in the first movie. So this was a little bit of a something that didn't match up for me. In the first movie, they say that Winifred got her spell book from the devil. devil. Yeah. But of course, you know, we're going to explore throughout this movie that not all of the myths about them are correct so that's fine if the devil had showed up here i would have been super about that Mm -hmm. um i like okay so hannah waddingham is the actress who plays mother witch and i think she's great in her little scene that she has i think she's very over the top and she kind of resembles all three of the sisters combined actually a little bit so i really dig that vibe and she has all of their powers so that's interesting and also she's the bird she is she is the bird that is repeatedly seen throughout the rest of the movie so like even though 
Mother Witch is really only in this one scene. She's watching the whole movie along with us. So Mother Witch wants to like om nom nom on Sarah, but instead she's like, damn Winnie, you smell good. We've learned that Winifred is a witch. And then she gives her fucking spell book away. She gives it to them. What the fuck? So I have a theory about all of this, but I can't tell you yet. You can't tell me. Oh, fine. Whatever. I'm going to save it for the moment that it will most blow your mind. Um, That's really all I want to say about Mother Witch at the moment. She shows up. She gives them their book. She talks about how much she misses her coven. And she tells... I know she says this line that you hate. She says a witch is nothing without her coven. And I don't think that that is a great line. But I think we're supposed to focus on the humanizing element of the Sanderson sisters being their love for each other, their sisterhood. That is what, that's what this movie is about. Is It's about sisterhood. Which is not the vibe. Um, Phoenix, you're so off base here. The first movie was about sibling love too, even though you tried to turn it into something. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I disagree with you. Yes, the first movie is about like, Max Needle Dick Dennison not being a dick to his sister anymore. But that's not the point of the movie. The point is these like campy, funny, crazy witches. It's not about the emotional value of Hocus Pocus. It's about both, Phoenix. No. Also, there's this like 16th birthday as a big deal thing, which I also hate. I don't like the coming of age angle because you can be or become a witch at any time. Yeah. I mean, I think that the coming of age angle is just kind of like whatever. Like, I don't like all the witches are doing it basically right now. I do like one line that she says that mommy witch says when she's like, she says one day Salem will belong to the witches. And that's true. That happened. Um, it does <laughs> it does right now um, today <laughs> but i also like when she says i'm a witch i know things also also um i learned this from a video that uh the witch of southern light posted um mother witch has done the magica maxima spell well that was my whole theory about her god damn it oh <laughs> that's what i was gonna say for the end oh sorry i didn't know that's why you have to tell me these things Ugh. sorry to ruin the climax but you know well now i just don't understand why you don't understand um magica maxima is a stupid spell it's dumb Magica Maxima is this kind of plot device of the movie. We get introduced to it in the first scene. It's it's a spell in the book. And Mother Witch is like, don't ever do that, even though it makes you all powerful. But don't ever do it. And she says Book hates that spell. And yeah, and then when he promises she won't ever do it, which she breaks when, you know... But that, that'll happen later. Whatever. It's fine. The sisters decide to use the book to exact revenge on the people that have wronged them. And that's relatable content. Um, yeah. And like I said, the backstory is everything that we said we wanted in our previous episode. But maybe that just makes it predictable and not necessarily good. I think it makes it predictable to you. I did not predict that they were going to give me what I wanted. I never predict that. <laughs> Let's talk about the spell. This is Misspelled, the part of the show where we critique the spells used by fantasy witches and talk about how a real witch might do the same thing. So this is something that we mentioned in our original episode, but we didn't really delve into. We called the words that Sarah and Mary chant magical gibberish or something. And we talked about how they were raising power for her. But as a special treat for this episode, we've gone into what these words might mean. Yeah, so basically what happens is Winnie chants the words of the spell about what's going to happen, and Sarah and Mary chant these power-building words, these magical incantations. Allegedly. 
Yeah, well, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but it's like, it's like they're funneling power into Winnie and then she's directing it. Yes. That, that's what I think about it. And I think that's kind of cool. That's how I feel about it too. And I also think it's cool. Yeah. So the words that they say are, Ichita Kopita Melica Mystica. So what the fuck does this mean? Um, it is gibberish, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, if you just Google this, what does it mean? Is there a translation? Nothing. No, absolutely not. Um, so I started looking at the words individually to see what I could find. Um, and still not a whole lot. Half of this, half of this comes from babynames.com, which I wouldn't necessarily call a reputable source of etymology. Okay. No. So we'll start there. Um, Ichita, but it's probably pronounced Ishida or Ishida or something like that. But it is an Indian girl's name that means desire. A kopita is apparently a tulip-shaped wine glass. You can Google what they look like. It's not super interesting. Melika, again, from Baby Names. Allegedly an Arabic girl's name that means angel. That's pretty. Melika is what it says on the captions. Um, But in the original one, it sounds like they're saying Malika, which sounds like a play on Malice. Okay, like Malika, like M-A-L, like bad. Yes, M-A-L, like bad. Okay, I guess, I mean, that would make a little more sense. But, you know, as we learned, witchcraft isn't just for evil witches. It's for everybody. It is. But then with with the following phrase, Mystica, I thought it was like, and you can talk about the etymology because you did a lot of research, but I thought it was like malicious mysticism. Yeah, like bad magic, which you could, in theory, just say. You could chant that. Do you want to do it, Phoenix? Do you want to be my backup chanter and you just say, I cast black magic? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm going to do the next time I have a difficult customer. I'm just going to be like, I cast bad magic. In order to talk to you about mystica, I have to talk to you about the etymology of mystic and mystery or just the same root that they share, which is M-Y-S-T, mist. Um, So that originally means to close your mouth and eyes. And then its meaning sort of evolved from there into keeping a secret. And from there, it evolved to talk about mystery cults and initiates in these mystery cults who a lot of times secretly practiced magic. And so that is how the words mystical and mystery are related. Oh, damn. Etymologically, yes. So, if we put all of that together, what are the sisters chanting? It basically amounts to desire, wine glass, angel, mystery cult. <laughs> How very nor does he stop trampling the port of amending such. Yes! <laughs> Bury that. The thing that Winifred chants, I actually do really like. Um, Upon thy house so full of lies, bring my wrath, may fire rise. And then lightning strikes the reverend's house and it burns down. I think that's a great little couplet if you want to curse your local minister's house while walking by. (laughs) So we transition to present day Salem, 2022. I don't really think the present day text was necessary because it's very obvious we aren't in the 1600s anymore just by the music cue alone. Oh, whatever. If you do one, you got to do the other. (laughs) Disagree. Uh, What's the song that's playing? Because I don't, I didn't know it. 
I'm obsessed with this song. The song that plays is called Skeleton Sam. It's by Lovecraft. And it is such a, it's like the Halloween dance single of my life. Um, Additionally, the high school that they go to is called Samuel Skelton High School. I think you only see this once. And I only caught it on my last watch through. But I thought that was really funny. Samuel Skelton, Skeleton Sam. Oh, that I don't know what that means. I don't know who Skeleton Sam is, but it's a good fucking song. And it's apparently their high school. Also, their high school mascot is the Puritans. The Puritans. The Samuel Skelton High School Puritans. Puritans. That is so gross. You know, I meant to look up if, like, what, like, Salem High School, like, mascots really were. Oh, did you? What what were some of them? I meant to. I'm doing it now. Oh, okay. I feel like the Puritans is a little backwards. It, that can't be right. That cannot be right. There's no way. Okay, let's just go with, there is a Salem High School. It's the witches. It is? The it Salem is. High School witches. The Salem High School witches. Yes. That's amazing. And that's so much better amazing. than Puritans. Way better than Puritans. Puritans are all about like purity and like no sex. Siren, are you Puritan? I mean, it sort of seems like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, our main character, Becca, is on her bike going to school and the bird is flying overhead. Burb. <sighs> and it's her birthday. <laughs> Ooh, original. A Disney movie about a witch whose birthday is on Halloween. Have you seen Twitches? Okay, so that is like super cliche. I will give you that. It's super cliche, but you know what? I don't mind it. <laughs> it's fine. Uh- we also meet her two friends, Izzy and Cassie. And I don't like when we're introduced to characters as though we're already supposed to know and like them. Like we're already supposed to understand their dynamic and what's going on. So you don't like it when characters walk onto the screen and just act like real people. You want them to introduce themselves to you. No, no, no. I like a little bit more build up, And that gives us this like idea of the the dynamic without them being like oh look out here comes that girl we don't like (laughs) that's what i'm talking about okay so honestly this is what i want to say about this if you make me focus too much time on this podcast to talking about the teen drama between all of them i will flip out because i don't want to i don't care (laughs) um there's some teen drama in the movie And it plays out well, and it has a nice narrative flow, and it makes sense. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. Okay, is that because it's not that good? It's because it's irrelevant compared to everything else, and I don't want to sit here for four hours. (laughs) I think it's fine, but the gist is that Becca and Izzy have an issue with Cassie that will get worked out throughout the movie. I do like all of them. I, Becca, who's played by Whitney Peak, I think is fantastic in this movie. I like her a lot. She's fine. Izzy is the best part of this movie. She's played by Belissa Escobedo. She's the best part of the movie. I think she's the best actor of the bunch. I think that her delivery is the best. I think that just everything that she does in the movie is so right for me. She's the saving grace, truly. I agree with that 100%. I really do. I think that formulaically, we're meant to see Izzy as like this like sidekick support best friend. But I think that she brings herself out of that pretty quickly and is like her own like good character. As as the dynamic expands between Izzy and Becca, they do feel like best friends. Yeah. And what what I think is happening here, like Becca is the lead witch or whatever of them all. And so I think we're supposed to see her as the protagonist. But I don't, I just don't really think she gets placed on like 
as being more important than her friends through the narrative. Mm -mm. And I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are parallels to the Sanderson sisters. Yeah. But it's kind of like they're like better to each other. Yeah. They're better to each other. But I mean, even in the way that their hair is styled, it's similar to the Sanderson sisters. Um, So I think it's supposed to be very clear to us that Becca is Winnie, Izzy is Mary and Cassie is Sarah. I mean, even I with... I thought the same thing. I thought the exact same thing. Especially with Cassie being, like, kind of obsessed with her boyfriend. Cassie's played by Lilia Buckingham, and she's kind of meh. She doesn't get as much screen time, but I think she worked with what she had, honestly. Yeah, I do too. Um, I do really appreciate that um, Becca and Izzy are not white and their main characters because you know there were no like people of color in the original that's true at all yeah and that is true. So, you know since we're bringing back four of the original cast and they're all white like there's nothing you can do about that but they added some like great characters of color as part of the new cast and i think that's really important i think that's one of the reasons that you like this movie so much siren it is a big part of it but i will say that cassie got stuck being like the token white girl yes she did and she did i think that she did the best she could with it and i still like her too i like her too so what i don't love about and i know you don't want to focus on the drama too much what i don't like is we're supposed to initially be introduced to her and think that she's a horrible person um and that's why i don't like when characters are introduced like we're already supposed to understand what's going on because we look at cassie in the first few scenes and we're like okay they used to be friends but now she sucks um and is mean to them and that's not what happened? There is, it's kind of, there's kind of a misdirect, I guess, with the teen drama. Like, we're supposed to think that, like, Mike and Cassie are bad and Becca and Izzy are good, but it ultimately is actually just about a bunch of people who aren't communicating well and are kind of not being nice to each other. So Cassie has this boyfriend, Mike, and I just want to know, and of course, we've talked about this before, neither of us are experts. And so ultimately, you know, I think listener opinions are important here. But do you feel like Mike is neurodivergent? Because uh, I do. Absolutely. Yes, I do. And there is some problematic stuff in there. I think that his storyline and where it goes is fine. But I don't like that I see him as a neurodivergent character. And like, Winnie repeatedly calls him an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> don't love that. Don't love that. Yeah, so Cassie's having a secret party that her dad won't like, and she didn't invite her friends, which is like a whole thing. Whatever, fuck her friends, they're bitches. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Becca pulls out this crystal and predicts a pop quiz and lists a bunch of vegan food, apparently. And Mike, like, flips out. He did not like it. Um, so, I guess I have to ask a preface question to this. Did people know you were a witch when you were in high school? I was not a witch in high school. Oh. You've never been through anything like this? No, I didn't practice in high school. I didn't start practicing until I was 18. Oh, so people did know that I was a witch in high school. <laughs> and um, let's just, I've done exactly this to a bully. <laughs> like pretended to, I did, I did pretend to put a curse on someone who was picking on me in the middle of class. <laughs> oh my God. Will you please just tell the whole story because I need to know about it now. Oh, fuck. Oh, okay. Well, so I got picked on a lot in high school, um, you know, because I was the gay witch and pretty open about it. Obviously, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just, uh, I don't know what made me do that that one day, honestly. I just kind of felt like it was time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he did later get expelled and blamed it on me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was your fault. Oh, I mean, that's a much longer story, but it was, let's just say I had a hand in it. Um. (laughs) 
<laughs> you really were like, tis time about it. Yeah, basically. Mike is talking about how Becca's a witch and she's denying it, even though it's like totally true. She's a witch. So here's the whole thing. The whole conflict between them is that he tell he calls her a witch and she denies it every time. Yeah, that's like the whole thing. But she is a witch. She literally is, even before we discover... And and the point that we rig- that we get to is that she thinks that Mike is picking on her by calling her a witch, but Mike is just noticing that she's a witch and it doesn't really bother him until she puts a vegan curse on him. Yeah. Also, I just feel like Girl with Crystal was Siren's senior superlative. Um actually, I was class clown, best hair and worst car. <laughs> You got best hair? I did. Did you go to a school for the blind? Ah, ha, 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 ha. Listen, you motherfucker. I was in my prime. I was 18 and I was gorgeous. And I had shoulder length, straight, frosted hair. I was beautiful. So fuck you. (laughs) Uh, So blah, 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 blah. Exposition City. They've been doing magic circles together since they were five. The best part of this scene where Becca gets sent to the principal's office is the trans ladybug receptionist. Yeah, I am almost positive this ladybug is a trans woman, but I couldn't find proof. I did find proof. I looked it up. You did find proof? I'm so happy. Yes. Let me, let me pull it up again. So the trans receptionist ladybug is played by an actress named Brina Healy. She is a former runway model pre-transition. And, oh my God. uh, once, uh, once she transitioned, she started taking on both female and trans roles in, uh, regional theater and film and TV productions, such as this one. Well, fucking go, Brina. I do have to say, though, that I fucking hate ladybugs. <laughs> but <laughs> why? I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna table that. Um, <laughs> because one summer they invaded my house. Um, <laughs> did anything ever go right at your house? No. <laughs> Never once. Yeah. So we have this little um, bit of information. Cassie's dad is the mayor who's played by Tony Hale. And he's the same actor as the Reverend. And so Cassie and her dad are descendants of Reverend Trask, the one who banished the Sanderson sisters from Salem. Oh, I bet that won't have anything to do with anything. No, Um, that's not going to be a plot point at all. Now, okay, so you didn't like his acting as the Reverend, and I have space for that. What do you think of his acting as the mayor? Because I love it. (laughs) I think it's a full 180 from his character as the Reverend, but it's still a little goofy. It's totally goofy. I find it a little bit real. So they basically make him play this, like, basic nice white dad and (laughs) i find it very effective (laughs) i really do all he wants in life is the caramel apple that's all he wants i would probably bone cassie's dad i would i would if i saw him on grinder back when i was on grinder i would hit him up i would well he's not first on my list but if he treated me well then sure he's first on your list gilbert gilbert is first on my list (laughs) (laughs) what a surprise (laughs) um gilbert is everything i've been looking for my entire life (laughs) gilbert is uh played by sam richardson he is 
a black gay witch who sympathizes with the Sandersons and owns a magic shop in Salem. He owns the magic shop inside their old house. Inside the Sanderson's old house, yes. Gilbert retells the legend of the Sanderson's. He's got the book locked up. So I'm not mad that Vanessa Shaw is not in this movie, but I guess the one main thing I didn't get that I wanted was for her to like have become a witch after Hocus Pocus was over. Um, But Allison let the book get away from her. Stupid bitch. Stupid bitch. Yeah, I'm disappointed that the original kids weren't a part of this at all. And I know that there were reasons for that. I know that people weren't available. I know that Max doesn't act anymore. Like, I get all of that. Um, But it is just something that I would have liked for sure. I guess, so I would not, I would not want a movie about them. But if they had, like, really good cameos, like in, like, the Ghostbusters reboot, for example, um, I would have enjoyed that. I mean, Thora Birch is pretty great. So like that would have been cool if she'd been in it. I would have looked at Omri Katz, I guess. Um, Do you know who would have been great as a cameo? Is that guy who played that hot bully. (laughs) Oh my God. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) And they just like put him in the cage again, but this time he's like topless. Oh my God, Siren, stop it. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) what are, I'm so, I'm, um... I'm in a place. Um, <laughs> Do you need a moment? Do you need to go like grab some tissues and head to the bathroom with Perhaps. a cop with a copy of the original Hocus Pocus movie? Because where is my lubriderm? Um, <laughs> so I think that we should say that Gil- we are never at any point told that Gilbert is gay. No, but I just think that he's very queer coded. Oh yeah, obviously. And yeah. I I have I have mixed feelings about that. What do you think about it? Um, I don't care. You don't care? I don't care. I guess, okay, so normally, okay, for example, when we all knew that Dumbledore was gay for Grindelwald or whatever, back when I cared about any of that bullshit, um, and then they, like, toned it down for the movie version, and they were like, well, even though it's integral to the plot, we didn't really have to be all upfront about it. You know, it's like, um, yeah, he's gay, but we don't have to be all gay about it. Yeah, basically. But the fact that Gilbert is gay in my heart has really nothing to do with the movie other than understanding him as a social outcast. We do hold some space for the fact that maybe using the term virgin in a movie meant for kids was not a great idea because a little boy in the crowd of Gilbert's retelling says, What's a virgin? And he says, a virgin is a person who has never lit a candle. I did enjoy that because I was like, I had the same question when I watched the original as a child. I was like, what's a virgin? I don't understand what that means. And now I don't believe in virginity at all. So the thing that I don't like about this scene with Gilbert is that he basically gives away the entire plot of the sequel in his first scene. Everything that he says is supposed to be foreshadowing, but it's literally just what happens in the movie. He's like, oh, what if there was another candle and the Sanderson sisters come back? And then what a surprise, there's another candle and the Sanderson sisters come back. Well, I mean, I feel like by the fact that we were watching the movie, we already knew that. So I'm not super mad about that. Siren, because we were watching the movie and we already knew that, we did not need to be told that. (laughs) Well, I'll let you have that one. I didn't didn't think about him giving away the plot of the movie. I really thought he was just retelling 
the old movie. No. I mean, yes, he was re- he was retelling the old movie, <laughs> but he also gives away the entire plot of this movie. Becca and Izzy go to the witch store, even though they're not witches. And that's fine. So they 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 have superstitions and magic charms and psychic visions and um they do magic circles in the woods but don't you dare call them witches (laughs) because that will really hurt their feelings and make them break up with their best friend just because i do spells carry crystals and hang out in a magic shop doesn't mean i'm a witch mike jesus i do really like that there are some elements of modern real witchcraft in here um I do enjoy that. For sure. Talking about herbs and Gilbert mentions charging a candle with special magic and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, granted, in retrospect, a little gross. Because Gilbert is actually a witch. Gilbert was inspired basically by Hocus Pocus 1 to become a witch. I love Gilbert. They reference again this a witch gets her power on her 16th birthday thing. And then Becca's like, oh, that's just a patriarchal fear of female aging. And I think that line is another reason Siren likes this movie so much. Listen. Yes. Um, I do like that line. Although that line is actually not super well thought out or get this correct. <laughs> Wrong. Welcome to You Must Be Myth Taken, the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. So, I did some research on what the fuck is a big deal about your 16th birthday. As far as socially, I actually could not find anything on why 16 is a big deal other than, like, legal stuff. Like, you can, like, drive and, like, get a job and shit. Um, so it's like a coming of age in that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I couldn't, I couldn't really find anything. So I did something that I really never thought that I would do. And I looked at numerology. Ew, siren. I did. I did. I did. Um, so Ugh. I'm sorry. So we're going to talk about 16 and numerology and try to parse this bullshit out. Listen, I did not start this podcast to go to algebra class. Well, too fucking bad because here we are and it's pop quiz time, bitch. So there are a couple of ways to think about 16 in numerology. And the first one is to think about it as a combination of the numbers one and six. So in numerology, um, every number from like one to nine or maybe zero to nine or one to ten. What am I talking about? But every single digit integer, I should say, has a meaning. And so if we look at the numbers one and six, we get um, respectively Leadership, authority, and power combined with balance, harmony, and generosity. And when I think about those qualities combined together, that actually does feel very much like witchcraft to me. So I do like that. So I think we could say 16 is a witchy number for those reasons. Um, But sometimes you do a reduction formula in numerology where you add the numbers together until you get a single digit integer. And then that's what it really means. So if we follow that formula for the number 16, 
we're looking at 1 plus 6 equals 7. So a reduction of 16 in numerology is 7. So if we do that, 7 is about secrecy, mystery, spirituality, logic, and introspection. And I don't think that has anything really to do with what we're talking about. I mean, like, kind of, but it just didn't feel as right for me. Well, the thing is, like, for me, if you combine both of those things, that's kind of exactly what my witchcraft is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how I, I mean, that's the the crux of how I practice. Yes, I love spells and elemental magic and like all of that kind of stuff. But for me, it's witchcraft is about a lot of that other stuff. Living a balanced life, living a like a spiritually centered life, understanding myself. See, I should say though, there are no really like bad numbers in numerology. So if you look at every single one of them, it's just going to be a different like cohesive set of values that kind of have to do with witchcraft and spirituality. <laughs> we could find ourselves relating to any of these numbers, but uh, I, I don't know. I just felt a certain way about one and six. Um, but this I do think is interesting. 16 is also the number of the tower card. And you may not know this or want to know too much about it, but um, the tarot is actually based heavily on numerology. A lot, a lot. And so I think the reverse applies. So if we talk about 16 being the tower card, the tower represents great transformation, destruction of things no longer needed, and moving forward into a new kind of life or a new way of being. So that is very coming of age, 16th birthday, I'm going to become a witch on Halloween tonight kind of stuff. But that's what I got. But as far as like a magical historical precedent behind what it means to turn 16, I didn't find anything. And I could be missing something. And if you know what that is, well, you should email us. Phoenix, how can they get in touch with us? You can send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. But quite honestly, Siren, I don't think you missed anything. I think numerology is just boring. And also turning 16 has nothing to do with being a witch. Do you know what I did when I was 16? Um, sucked dick in a cemetery? Yes, my first one! (laughs) (laughs) We literally just talked about Angelica in our Craft Legacy review, and we have it coming up here again. Uh, so a pretty popular herb, apparently, these days Mm. in witchy media. Gilbert has some free samples of Angelica leaves. Free bags of herbs. Fuck yeah. That is, that is cool as balls. If they were... I would go there every fucking day. Yeah. I would go there every fucking day and stock up on some Angelica. No, I think that's totally bitchin'. Um, just free little sample bags of herbs. And Izzy takes some because she's that kitchen witch, because she's an herbalist, because she actually knows what the fuck she's doing. Yeah, so we did just talk about the craft legacy and Angelica, which somehow I liked better than this movie, and I hated that movie, so. Wow. That's really, I do not feel the same way. But you know what? I like both of those movies now. (laughs) So. Uh, Yeah, so. I don't know what I'm doing. But okay, so they say that Angelica has the power to break curses. And that's why Gilbert's passing it out for Halloween. And that is, as we discussed, one of its uses. Yeah, it's correct. It's absolutely correct. It's an uncrossing herb, 100%. Yeah, Yeah. and the Angelica is going to factor into this movie, and I really fucking like it when it happens. Oh, me too. I like that part a lot. I like that part so much. Um, Yeah, I do... I, like I said, I love that there's some real witchcraft elements in here. That's one of the things about this movie that I really, really like. So in addition to the Angelica, Gilbert gives Becca a birthday present, which is... How would you describe this candle, Fina? Um, I would say that the candle that, ge- that uh, Gilbert gives Becca 
looks a lot like a dildo you ran through the dishwasher. Just like one time or like how many times do you have to do that before it goes south? Oh, I mean, just the once. Just the once. You're not supposed to put uh, (laughs) sex toys through extreme heat like that. Okay. Okay. That is not how you sanitize your sex toys. Do not, do not run your dildos through the dishwasher. Can you, um... Can you just give me one second? Because I have to go check something in the kitchen. Um. <laughs> if, th- I mean, this is not what this episode is about, but if you need a lesson on how to clean your sex toys, <laughs> just grab some toy cleaner from your local sex store, spray them down, rinse them with some cool water, and leave them out to air dry. That advice was unsolicited and unnecessary, and I'm really glad it's here anyway. Uh, we are a full service podcast y'all and how many times on the podcast have we talked about how to clean your sex toys um <laughs> this is at least twice um well no see the way that we talked about it the first time was one of our listeners mike hey mike told us that he was listening to our show as he was sanitizing his sex toys and yes but if you'll recall our guest madge also talked about it during love hurts <laughs> you know I, we're talking about a candle but we're a pro sex toy podcast we are we are a very sex positive podcast, but in the, the lesson that I would like to you to take away from this little segue is that if you wash your dildo in the dishwasher, you will end up with a candle that raises the dead. Bummer. So Becca and Izzy go out to the woods with their little bag of green herbs and their dildo, and <laughs> they they ca- they ca- they catch a man. Um. I mean, you know what they do. Um, (laughs) Oh, that just hit me different. I'm sorry. Uh. Yeah, so they do their magic circle birthday ritual. And Izzy brings a photo of Cassie, which to me, I think is important because she's not physically there. But I think that this magic circle is kind of acts as their initiation together. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Because... Because everything that happens that brings them together as a coven begins here. And so Cassie had to be there in some way. So this photo of her was there. And I think that's important. I really think it is important. Maybe the filmmakers didn't think about it as much as I did. But I like it. Um, So Becca is, I guess, a virgin. We kept that aspect from the first movie. But they don't really talk about it a lot which is Mm -mm. fine. But she is a virgin. She lights the black flame dildo from Gilbert. (laughs) And it's a full moon. And it's Halloween. Oh my God, Siren. They're in the same part of the woods that the Sanderson sisters were in. Wow. That's awesome. So I, I get why you think it's lame, but I am very attracted to the concept of like a sacred space for witches. Um, yeah, that part of it is cool. But for the purposes of this movie... It's stupid. I do believe, I do believe that a witch can make anywhere they are a sacred space. Okay. I do. But if you were to tell me that if I meet with my coven in a sacred part of the old woods, that there will be more power there. I mean, yeah, I'll go. Especially if she, especially if we have a little bag of <clears throat> Angelica. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you mean pot. Yeah. It's weed. We're talking about weed. It's legal here, so I can say that. So it is very, like, spirits of place and, like, connecting with sacred land. Like, that's awesome. I love that. But it's just a little on the nose. I guess I like the mythology that it sets up that 
Okay, so in the real world, Salem was a site of witch hysteria, and that's what it's famous for. And somehow that history of murdering people over suspected witchcraft has turned Salem into this, like, witch tourist attraction with, like, tons of real witches and rituals and celebrations all the time. And I think that's really cool. You know, which, again, is why I like the line Mother Witch says that Salem will be ruled by witches one day. Because, you know, it really is now. But I love that we have this added piece to that, that the woods outside of Salem are actually sacred land for witches. And that, I don't know, maybe that has some piece of, like, why this all started in the first place. I know it's fiction, but it's fiction that I enjoy. Well, Siren, you know what it probably is that makes it a sacred space, right? What? It's equidistant from fire, water, earth, wind, and metal. (laughs) (laughs) You're so stupid. (laughs) So it's not just a spiritual nexus, but a Wiccan one as well. Stop. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> Uh, let's transition into (laughs) yet another misspelled, because I actually do like the chant that they do here. So let's talk about it. Misspelled. Oh my God, two misspelled in one episode, a whole two. Can you believe that? That's so cool, right? Just two misspelled this episode. Well, let's get into the second one. This this second, this two of two. Yeah. So (laughs) what what is the um what is the spell that they say? And then tell me what you think about it. Okay, so Becca and Izzy join hands after lighting the black flame dildo. And um (laughs) and they say Another year begins anew, maiden mother and crone too. We call on thee with one request, help our intentions manifest. Um, I really like this. I would use this. I really like it too. I think that the invocation of maiden mother and crone makes sense for a ritual about aging. Yes, for a ritual about a milestone birthday. I think it's it's kind of too bad that um, this is all that's written. It seems like there's more to the incantation, but they get interrupted. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to see what that looked like. But even if they just said these four lines and then started, like, I don't know, asking for things that they wanted, intentions they mean to manifest, I think I think they have it all. They're out in the woods. They're honoring the moon. They're together. And they have their candle lit. And they're chanting. Like, what more do you need? Like, this to me looks like real witchcraft. It does. It does. It is real witchcraft. It is real witchcraft. Yeah. They are performing real witchcraft on a set made by a high school drama club (laughs) and that was also in your senior bio by the way um i didn't make sets bitch i was an actor (laughs) (laughs) um so i i like it I, i like it a lot and i i think i mean you could even take it a step further 
and use this incantation and talk about things specifically that you want to manifest or change or transform by your next birthday. Yeah. So I could see actually, and maybe it would be cool if somebody did this, like maybe just start some some kind of incantation with these four lines and then fill in like your own things for yourself. Like, I think that would be cool. I could see myself maybe doing that if I wasn't in complete denial about getting older. <laughs> As we said before, you can be a decrepit old hag at any age. And Siren is just having to do that uh, a long time before me. I'm from Coaches. Misspelled. So the candle goes ballistic, and oh my god, it's a black flame candle! We just talked about those! Uh, how convenient. I mean, okay, so at this point, yes, I think we're all expecting that to be the black flame candle. Yes. And, and it is. <laughs> it, it is. What a surprise. So great. <laughs> um, I love this next part when the ground starts to split open and Izzy goes, nope. Nope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is like, yes. it's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. That and when she says, that's a big old yikes. I love that that's so much. I love that so much. She's great. Do you know what it is? I think that Izzy is really nailing the like Gen Z speak that they tried to in the craft legacy and didn't quite hit. Yes. You know? Yes. yes. Like Izzy, like Izzy is a Gen Zer on the internet and I like it. Yeah. No, I I love Izzy. I think she's incredible. Um, I also like when everything goes silent and um, we hear Sarah singing in the background. I think that is so cool. Yeah. Um, I loved that. And <laughs> the witches, the witches, the witches are back. From this point on, the Sanderson sisters pretty much give me everything I want from them at all times. They just do. <laughs> that, that's a valid opinion. You would have. Ah ha 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 ha. Okay. So the scene that follows is really funny to me. Um, they have their new theme song, The Witches Are Back, which is based on The Bitches Back by Elton John, which we've actually talked about before in our episode Sex Work Witch about how the Charmed Ones are descended from this fabulous prostitute. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's a good one. Sex work is real work. Um, uh, <laughs> I do like the musical number. I do like the musical number a lot. And I like when Izzy is like, I don't know, but I literally cannot stop watching them. <laughs> so they're like, I want to call it fourth wall breaking, but that's not actually what it is. It's like the witches are performing for the fourth wall. And then Izzy and Becca like are the fourth wall. It's self-awareness, I think. Yeah. Um, which is both a advantage and a disadvantage of this movie, in my opinion. I think it's a little too self-aware, but it works in this scene. Yeah. I see. I love, I love self-awareness in movies. I actually look for that. And when I don't find it, I guess I get a little judgmental. It, it just doesn't work all the time. And the whole movie reads as like, oh yeah, we're doing Hocus Pocus too. But that's what they're doing, Phoenix. I know, Siren, but <laughs> it doesn't need to be spelled out like fucking alphabet soup, okay? Like, it doesn't need to be right in front of me, right on my plate like this. So the witches catch the girls and Becca and Izzy do exactly what Danny did. They lie and say they're witches. They say the wor they worship the sisters and that they're 40. And then we get the first of too many of Bette Midler going, book. <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> oh, I like it. It's almost like her voice is like one of those like horns <laughs> that people like shout into. 
Yeah. It's like she's calling for aid from the troops. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just really wants her fucking book. I I would have liked it one time, but she does it too many times. Uh, and the first 20 seconds of her being in the movie was not the right time to pull it out. Well, I mean, she just wants that book really fucking bad. And of course, the last time she came back from the dead, it was just right there. You know, Be- Becca and Izzy convince the witches that the beauty industry is the new dead kid juice. I almost want to like, I want to tear it apart a little bit too much, but I don't. But I don't know, like the beauty industry, what a topic, you know, like with the advertising and the manufacturing and just so many issues we could delve into here. But then they take that and they're like, well, let's equate that to your potion that kills kids souls and makes you look young and beautiful. I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with like mass production and child workers and stuff. It also sort of feels like, and I'm just getting this now. um, It also feels like maybe it's, (sighs) I'm not going to be able to say this without sounding like a terrible person. Uh, Cause my first thought was, well, maybe Sarah Jessica Parker like lobbied for this scene because of how people called them old and too old to do this part. And then I was like, no, this sounds like it was written to like, have a social commentary which again is why you like it perhaps but did you also consider that maybe walgreens like paid money to be represented in the movie also that yes um i think it's funny so i think what we get here is the equivalent of the this you know the sisters walking around town not understanding the modern world which we really enjoyed in the original and I enjoy it again. So you said that we get a lot of the Sanderson sisters like bumbling around and not understanding the modern world. And again, I feel like there's too much of it. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that that's fine. But I'm, I, it's just the right amount for me. I, I like Winnie's initial reaction to the doors opening. But I there's a moment and it's really small and I am nitpicking. I really, I really went in on the performances of SJP, Kathy and Jimmy and Bette Midler. I really- Well, okay. Can we, can we maybe segue into talking about that for a second then? Because I think that they're all a little different, but it's in ways that I enjoy. So let's start with Winifred. Let's start with Bette. How do you think that she's different in this from the original? I think that Bette Midler, and I had this, I had this in for later, because really where this really comes through for me is, is at the festival scene. I think Bette Midler is playing Winifred Sanderson way too much like Bette Midler knows Winifred Sanderson is an icon. Um, so I feel as though she is treating the role too much like anything she does is going to be well received. I guess I just don't know how you would be Winifred Sanderson and act like you didn't know that she's an icon. Um, watch the first movie, Siren. <laughs> well, I mean, that was 30 years ago. God. The performance, the performance is different. And... I want to have space for that. I want to have space for liberties. I want to have space for the actresses being different people, but the characters aren't different people. So I do think, I think that Bette Midler is even more over the top in this movie than in anything I've ever seen her in, quite frankly. But a logical progression of Winifred Sanderson, that's just kind of what I want. So I didn't mind it, but I hear your critique. Of course you didn't mind it. (laughs) You, You like this movie so much for the same reason that you couldn't critique the first one, Siren. I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I was planning to cop to it. 
Um, because I, you're right. I could, I could barely bring it together to critique the first one. And I really love this movie. So yeah, that's where we are. I'm not mad at you for that by any means, but it's like, there are parts of this movie that are not good. Sarah Jessica Parker, her eyebrows, first of all, her eyebrows. You know, I didn't look at them until you said it, but... Her eyebrows are (laughs) bad. They're bad. I feel like Sarah Jessica Parker is wearing a lot of makeup. Yes, she is. A... Lot of makeup. Yeah. Um, and Sarah for me, Sarah was my favorite in the first one. She's probably my least favorite part of this one. She is just reading as stupid. There is no allure. There's no They did take it does feel like they took her sluttiness away from her. They did. Except for one line. She has one line where it comes back. We can get some new ones. And she shimmies like an idiot. She's just reading as stupid. And that is, I mean, a big part of that is what Disney has become compared to what it was. Mm -hmm. Mary's not the stupid one anymore. So Sarah in the original was just kind of ditzy, right? She was a little ditzy. and A little ditzy, but mostly kind of slutty. But mostly kind of slutty. And in this one, she's just stupid. And she is doing these things and like using these inflections that are kind of not necessary and take away from the character and the the vibe. Like where she's like, it's enormous. <laughs> See, I, and that's fine. All of that works for me, but I do, it doesn't work for me. Um, I don't want to give too much away yet, but my favorite through line for Sarah was that she's finding a backbone in this movie and I like it and that honestly didn't go as far as I wanted it to. I don't feel like she didn't have a backbone in the first one. Oh, I do. No, nobody stands up to Winnie in the first one but Sarah stands up to her in this one multiple times and I like it. Mary is, I feel like, the one who's the most different. I really thought of Mary as like the stupid bumbling one and in this one, she's not stupid. I feel like they just tried to make her silly but she has moments where I, she's like scary as balls to me. Which moments is she scary? The moment where the girls try to get away in the Walgreens and then she's right behind them. That was very different than anything she did in the original. And it starts there, but it like keeps going. She says she has some really, really scary lines to me. Um, I'm not like not like I'm like staying up all night, but I'm just like just her as like. A figure, I guess. She has a lot of really pandery nostalgia lines is what is happening there. Um, like, I'm gonna eat ya. Or she says shishka baby for no reason. She does say shishka baby for no reason. And it wasn't... Shishka baby didn't give me what I wanted. No. And I, I love and adore Kathy Jimmy, especially after actually watching the video where she talked about how she didn't want to offend real witches with the first one. And then she turned it into a discussion about how abortion is healthcare. Fuck yeah, Kathy. Yeah. Love Kathy and Jimmy. She's wonderful. I love her and everything that she's ever been in. But Mary in Hocus Pocus 2 is just coming off as if Kathy and Jimmy dressed up as Mary Sanderson and got really drunk. A little bit of that. She's definitely the most different. Yeah. I don't I don't care for Mary in this one. The performance is just not there for me. There but she has some there are some things that I like and we're gonna disagree about that. Let's just fucking get let's just do it. So <laughs> I do think them 
drinking lotion and eating a face mask and all of that kind of stuff is very funny. It works for me. Tastes tingly. My favorite feeling. <laughs> that means it's working. <laughs> um, yeah, I I did like that. That was funny. That was different. That was updated and modern. I liked it because it was a different joke from what they had done in the first one. There's, I guess there's just, I love everything to do with the Walgreens. Um, <laughs> that's really what I can't critique. I love the Walgreens scene and just every aspect of it from the very beginning when Winifred says it glows from within with a sickening light. <laughs> that part is funny. That is that is funny. So then they're drinking face cream and these these people dressed up as them show up and I'm pretty sure that the Mary of the fangirls is non-binary. I think so. I think so. They give it- off that vibe. I'm sorry if they're not, but if they are cool so izzy goes to get the salt because salt protects from dark magic yeah because because they they're taking a page out of allison's book fighting them with salt yeah absolutely uh love which is i guess a page of their own book yeah i actually i actually really liked that um i i liked that that was i liked that through line of that being the same um so they they the witches realize that they've been tricked because First, the fangirls take a picture and there's like a Snapchat filter and they look really young and beautiful and done up because that's what Snapchat filters do. And then the anti-shoplifting mirror ruins the illusion. So thankfully, just as the witches realize that they've been tricked, they have enough salt to defend themselves. Um, And Winnie just really wants book. She wants the book. Yeah, the other two are like devastated that Becca just used witchcraft against them. And then Winnie is just like, I don't fucking care. (laughs) Where's my goddamn book? So now we have to update the flying on cleaning devices scene. And I think that you and I feel completely opposite about it. (laughs) Yes, we do. I hate it. And I love it. Siren, it's the exact same joke. It's the same joke. Okay, so I didn't think that it was good right off the bat. I just like how it plays out. When Kathy and Jimmy first comes out of that Walgreens surfing on two Roombas, I did not think I was going to enjoy it. It gets better. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It does. Okay, and Sarah, Sarah is riding a Swiffer wet jet. She was on a mop in the original, and now she's on a Swiffer fucking wet jet, and it has bubbles coming out of it. That is hilarious. No, it's not. Yes, No, it's not. It is not funny, Siren. It's not funny. The bubbles are not funny. What would have been funny to me is some joke about how the Swiffer wet jet pads don't fucking work on anything. Um, That would have been funny. (laughs) (laughs) Not bubbles coming out of the end of it, because they don't bubble. They don't make bubbles. I've never flown on one. I don't know what would happen if it was flying on the slipper wet jet, but... Well, see? There you go. <laughs> yeah. I hate the Roombas. I hate the I Roombas. I love the Roombas. I love the Roombas. I hate the Roombas. I hate that she calls them broomies. It, it's just... The Roombas, the Roombas become her little familiars, and I think... It's so cute. And I love how she's, they talk about how Roombas have a mind of their own. Have you ever owned a Roomba? No. They're insane. (laughs) They're crazy. So our Roomba, it like, it had a charging station under the couch and it just, it had a mind of its own. It would just come out from under the couch whenever it felt like it. It would vacuum in a pattern that made no sense whatsoever. And then it would go back and sometimes it would get stuck and it would just cry until you helped it. So maybe if I had ever had a Roomba and knew how awful they were, 
maybe I would think it was funnier, but I don't think it's funny. Um, so the flying scene, the flying scene, <sighs> Winifred says, we're going to run amok in Salem. And then Sarah goes, amok, 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 amok. And it's such a pandery line and I hate it. Um, I ag- Okay, so I do agree with you on this. I think there are a lot of lines from the original that they do not use to their best effect. Mm-mm. And amok, amok is one of them. Shishka baby is one of them. I do agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so there's actually, this is like science. Um, so I'm going to defend this a little bit. So do you know that like the human brain actually does release like pleasure chemicals when it recognizes patterns? And like, that's the theory behind like why certain pop songs get so big is because if your brain can predict how the notes are going to go, then your brain gets a happy feeling when it happens. And so I think it's kind of the same situation here. So I feel like they were trying to capitalize on that, but under like a certain amount of scrutiny, it just it could have been better. I can understand the point that you're making because I mean that's why it's why you like the first one so much. That's why my partner likes the first one so much because there are these there's these predictable things that happen that ignite that feeling in your brain. I did not have that feeling. I didn't like the first one enough to be able to watch this one through rose-colored glasses. Okay. Well, I wish that you had said that to me days ago, and so that I could like you more. Um, but I'm going to try to start doing that now. And I want to recognize that this film was not made for me, that this is a kid's movie that is supposed to be appealing to a whole new generation because the first one was 30 fucking years ago and a sequel was unnecessary. You know, I just don't have the amount of breath required to disagree with you as much as I want to. Becca and Izzy are like, Gilbert, what the fuck? What the fuck, bro? And Gilbert is like, this was my master plan. Gilbert is an idiot. He is, but I still get him. But he's, you know, he's wrong, obviously. Oh, Gilbert is you. That's why you like him. Um... Maybe a little. I don't think I would enact like a plan to secretly trick some teenagers into bringing back the Sanderson sisters. I think I would probably just be like, you know what? I own a witch store in their house. So like, I don't really need them. I like, I'll just capitalize on their name and image and make a bunch of money for myself. But I don't actually need them to be here. But Gilbert doesn't agree. (laughs) Gilbert wants them here. So Gilbert tricked Becca because... Gilbert allegedly witnessed them die on Halloween 30 years ago, and he saw the witches, and he was a bullied little gay boy dressed like a wizard, and seeing the witches inspired him to grow up and be a gay witch entrepreneur. And, well, isn't that something? (laughs) Gilbert is every little gay witch who loved the original movie. (laughs) Yeah, so Gilbert could not light the black flame dildo himself because he's not a virgin, because... He and me, back in the stockroom, if you know what I'm saying, (laughs) putting an enchantment on that black flame dildo. (laughs) The witches go home, because obviously that's where they're going to go right off the bat is their fucking house. But why is their house, and I guess that this was a good question for the first one too, why is their house in the middle of town now? Oh, so I think, I mean, because of town expansion. I'm sure that in the original settlement of Salem, their house was definitely outside of town. But as the town grew, okay, that it would that absorb makes... their house. I mean, because there were like there was a paved road outside of it in the original. Yeah, but it was still like kind of in the woods. So yeah. I, I get oh okay I guess I I will. I actually spent a little bit of time thinking about that because like the town expanded to absorb their house, but not the sacred space in the woods, thankfully. But like you know that could also have easily have happened. So the Sanderson show up at their home and Mary sniffs out 
Becca and Izzy. Immediately. Immediately. They're just immediately found. And they get thrown in the dungeon. And Wendy... Wendy. And Wendy! Win- <laughs> and because of Winn-Dixie, traps them with a spell. And the stairs disappear. Because of Wendy Sanderson. <laughs> because of Wendy Sanderson. <laughs> it's the title of my memoir. Um, <laughs> Wendy traps them with a spell and the stairs disappear. The words that Wendy Sanderson chants to seal them in uh, is, None shall see thee or hear thee shout. Heed my words, there's no way out. And the door slams shut and the stairs disappear. I want to I wanna say something that is also bothering me, which shouldn't be bothering me because it was the same in the first one. Is the weird like hodgepodging of ye olde English and just normal speech? Yes, I completely agree with that. It's not correct in any way. If only we had like a linguistic expert on here to talk to us about it. I think that would be really interesting. But no, there's no way that the way they speak is correct. No, it, it's just very strange and it comes off as strange. So there's that. I do think it matches vibe with the original. It does. it didn't make sense in the original either. So I feel like they've just kind of carried on the same nonsense. Yeah, and that's fine. It's just like, for some reason, and maybe it's because I had feelings about this movie, but it's bothering me a little bit more. The nonsense yeah. is continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do a misspelled on it, but I do like her little chant. I feel like it could be a little binding chant. None shall see or hear thee shout. Heed my words. There's no way out. As I tie some like black yarn around a little doll I made of you. No big deal. Yeah, I think that would work work really well, actually. Yeah. Gilbert retells his origin story, which we kind of already went through. And he just idolizes the Sandersons, which, I mean, so does a whole generation of faggots. Gilbert, you're not special. Exactly. Gilbert is the generation of faggots that want to be witches. <laughs> He's us. Gilbert is us, Phoenix. Gilbert. One of us. I think Gilbert's a little bit more you than me. He likes the Sandersons a bit more than I do. He's one of us. (laughs) Mary finds a campaign poster for Mayor Trask, and then they have this whole big thing about that. And they're like, oh, let's kill the mayor. Because Winnie has decided they're doing something different. Winnie wants to do Magica Maxima. Magikai Maxima, excuse me. She states that her promise to not do that spell has expired, which I mean, is like 329 years long enough um so that line is it was an iconic line for me that promise has expired because i've used that same logic before (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know if that's how it works i don't know if there's like a statute of limitations on promises no it's utter bullshit it's because (laughs) wendy and i are evil but so winnie wants to do the magic of maxima spell and the book doesn't want to do it and sarah and becca both notice This is the part where we start to see Sarah's backbone. Sarah, she doesn't really do anything, but she's just sort of standing there muttering. And she says she has mixed feelings about helping Winnie. Mm -hmm. And so she just kind of stands there and doesn't do anything. Um, And then Becca trapped in the basement is like, wait, the book has opinions. Yeah. So that, that is part of the through line for sure. That, that again, sort of lead leans into one of the things that I don't like about Sarah in this movie. Not because she has a backbone. I think that's fine. It's that she's kind of in her own little world the whole time. Cause she's like standing there muttering to herself and no one is listening to her, which I know is the point, the way that it's, set up and I don't think that this is SJP's fault but the way that Sarah Jessica Parker is is playing that really separates Sarah from the story I feel like she was in her own little world before it was just more of a slutty she was in her own little world before but this is it's just different it's different 
in a way... It is different. It's different in a way that makes it feel disjointed because she's just kind of there. Well, for me, I really picked up on her telling Winnie she didn't want to help her with the spell in this moment. She's just there to have a good time, you know? Like, she doesn't care if they gain eternal life or not. Like, she just wants to, like, go to a party and get fucked. I mean, (laughs) yeah, so Winnie zaps the book open to get to the spell and she just ignores the warning. I, okay, I love the way that Bette Midler talks in this scene, but when she electrocutes the book, I was actually like very upsetting. (laughs) I did not like it. I did not like it. She was evil in the, in the first one, but Winnie is like even more evil, I think. Oh, no, 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 in this movie. No, she's not. She so is. It's just like she, every she's so easily distracted. I guess that's the whole point. They're always like threatening to be evil, but the slightest thing will distract them and then they won't do so it. So it's like they're a group of ADHD witches. Got it. Same. Yeah, basically. Same. But the thing she also she threatens to kill the cat cobweb and I hate it. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I, hate I don't it. think that she's more evil. I think that she's sillier and in different ways. Well, and you know what it really is? It's probably just a commentary on how I value cats and books more than human life. Yes, I think that's probably what it is. <laughs> so I guess that's what it is. So that's why Winnie is really, Wendy is upsetting me right now. Um, the witches curse Gilbert to either gather spell ingredients for them or he'll fucking die. Now do for me what I ask. Thy life depends upon this task. Um, And then they leave to go hunt Trask, leaving the book behind. So then we get like one of my favorite scenes. This is my favorite scene of the movie too. Becca and Izzy are trapped in the basement and somehow Winifred's spell blocks her phone. And I don't know how Winnie would even know what a phone was to incorporate that layer into the spell. Well, it's just what she said. None shall see or hear thee shout. And her magic is so powerful that it affected the phone. But how? I mean, it was just, she just made it a law. She made it a law of their situation that no one would see or hear them. Okay. I don't accept that, but I'll leave it alone. I mean, I think it's a lot for like one couplet, but. So we have the Angelica. Yes. Yeah. So this is where the Angelica comes into play i did want to ask you though why didn't if the phone call didn't work why didn't becca just send a text message would it not have gone through you think i mean i I, by the logic of the spell i guess anyway they decide that they're going to use the angelica leaves and i love it um i I love love what izzy says yes if candles can bring back the dead why can't potpourri bring back the stairs (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the way that they do this spell. So they they pour the angelica leaves in a circle. They light them on fire. And then they're like, what the fuck happens now? Um, This next part, I think, is my favorite part of the real witchcraft in this movie. Yeah, mine too. When, When I saw this scene for the first time, like, I was really amazed. Like, I had, like, a deep emotional reaction to it because I just really didn't think it was gonna happen. You know, and you never see real witchcraft on screen. And obviously these girls are using real witchcraft to interact with fantasy witchcraft. And then it becomes fantasy witchcraft. So there's all of that. But I'm not going to get wrapped up in that at this moment. I loved watching this scene where they were like, you know what? We're up against witches. We're witches. Let's just use magic. And then they do. And it works. And I was just like in my heart. I was like, yes. My favorite thing about it is that the hand motion that they start to do, they do counterclockwise. Oh my God. And that's the way you would do it. That's the way that you would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. 
To banish or be rid of something like a curse, you would do your spell counterclockwise. That's amazing. It is really cool. I didn't even get that aspect of it. So that's really awesome. I love it. I love it so much. There are so many layers to that that I really, really enjoyed. So that's one part of this movie that I love. I like that all they do is say lift the curse and let us out. They don't have to make it rhyme. They just say what they want. They just burn some herbs and say what they want. Witchcraft. Witchcraft indeed. Yeah. But they do it by like working together. And we get this like glowy hand thing that keeps happening with Becca to let us know like, oh, Becca's the real witch, whatever. But like Becca would not have gotten out of this situation without Izzy. Izzy is the one who figured this out. It's like Becca is a charmed one and Izzy is a witch practitioner. But it's the togetherness that makes them powerful. Do you want to talk about Gilbert meeting Billy? Yeah. So I just, this is like a whole bunch of stuff and I just jammed it all into this like one. I don't, Okay, I love the scenes with Gilbert and Billy, but also we can't just like go through the whole montage of it. So Gilbert goes to get Billy's head because they need a head of a lover or whatever. And Billy is still alive because he never died again. He's just been alive just in the ground since the first movie. Yeah, he's like, how Um, long ago was 1993? I think Doug Jones is really good in this movie, but you had a note about his accent. It's a bit much. It's a bit much. And he didn't have it in the first one. Oh, you know, you're right. He's really leaning into like having this terrible British accent. And I am a lot more aware of that now than I have previously been it's not good it's like this pseudo southern british sort of hodgepodge of regional accents that's very specific um so i i will i didn't really pay attention to the speaking parts i was looking at doug jones being doug jones you know um the physical comedy is it's pretty good um everything he does is pretty great um i when he's a headless corpse wandering around i think that he does that really well Like, it's amazing to me that there's a person with a head who's doing that. Um, But he also has these parts where he, like, can't talk and he just has to do all this, like, immobile, like, face acting. And I really like that, too. Yeah, I, I mean, his performance, like, physically was really great. And I think he, I mean, he embodied the character just fine. The accent just really took me out of it because it was not... It wasn't good. Gilbert tricks Billy into helping him get the spell ingredients by telling him that he's doing a spell to kill Winifred. So they have this like buddy cop bromance on a quest kind of thing that happens for a minute. Oh my God. Gilbert is like Tina Belcher. He's into zombies. Yeah. 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 So the witches look for the mayor at the fall festival, which is actually something that happens in my hometown, too. We have a fall festival every year. There's more of the witches not understanding anything. I thought the bobbing for apples bit was clever. They're drowning a man. I like this festival. That was pretty, that was pretty funny. I, I did like that. The Roombas, you are correct, have become kind of like familiars, and I do not like it. I like it mostly because of one line that Kathleen and Jimmy says, but it's not yet. Oh, is it the Broomies hate mess yes. thing? They hate mess. We've gotten into my feelings about the performances of the three main actresses, but it's it's really, for me, it's really driven home in this fall festival scene that what's making this movie fall really flat for me is the performances of the trio of the Sanderson sisters. It's just not working. It's not giving me the same feeling that I get watching the original. I would have been perfectly fine with just Bette Midler, Kathy and Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker dressed up as the Sanderson sisters at this drag show and have that be the whole movie. Like if it had just been this one little special, like I would have, I would have lived. Man, I love that they get some drag queens in here because you know how I talked about how these bitches are basically 
drag queens. And I love that they decided to run with that. I love that they got Ginger Minj, Kamora Hall, and Cornbread Jete to be in the movie. Yeah. Bitches have that lines. Was a- that was incredible. And surprisingly, Kamora can actually act a little bit. I mean, she only had one line. I mean, this moment wasn't quite a... I was rooting for us. Winnie takes one look at the stage the drag queens are on and she's like, this is a witch's altar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because fuck yeah. (laughs) When the security guard asks Winifred if she's looking for the stage and she goes, always. But of course, the thing that she said just before that, she said, all right, no more distractions. (laughs) And then she gets distracted. (laughs) And then they go do a drag show. And then they go to a drag show. That's what's really important. I didn't like the song choice, but I liked the number. Does that make sense? Yeah. I like the number. I like that there was another performance. Um, mm-hmm. cause that's my favorite, that's my favorite part of the original movie is, uh, the I put a spell on you number. Yeah. I mean, they had to do that again. They absolutely had to do that again. So the fact that it happens at a drag show is just really, like I keep saying, it's giving me everything I want. Um, so then there's a little bit of a montage. They've bewitched the townsfolk to go and look for the mayor. And this is the part where you've caught like all these other costumes, like the Madonna costume that's going on in here and probably so much other stuff we didn't catch. Yeah, there's so many people. There's so many people. Of course, I have to call out that during this montage, um, they fly by a window where an interracial gay couple is watching the original movie. And But how? How are, how are they watching the original movie? <laughs> I mean, obviously they're not, but they chose the scene with Satan and Medusa, so it's fine. (laughs) I like that Sarah flies around on her Swiffer during this little montage. I think the scene is pretty. All of the things that you like about this montage are things that I did not like about this montage. (laughs) Wow, I did not anticipate that from the rest of the episode. So anyway, um, (laughs) the mayor, the mayor wants his caramel apple so bad. He wants it it's so bad. All he wants. He wants it so bad. And then he finally gets it. And then the flash mob that's looking for him steals it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy. If there is a real tragic figure in this film, it is Mayor Trask. It but- is absolutely Mayor Trask. So then um, Becca and Izzy show up at Cassie's. It's We're like so far into it. Cassie's finally in the movie. Um, <laughs> Cassie's finally in the movie. Oh, we missed the part where uh, Becca and Izzy rat out Cassie's party. And I, I want to talk about it for just a second. I know that we need to like kind of zip through this, but Becca calls Cassie's dad and is like, oh, she's having a party with boys. What fucking year is this? What like Yeah, and he has this like I don't know what even want to call it, like this I keep wanting to say leave it to Beaver for some reason, but some kind of like overreacting parent Yeah, no, it's very that. It's super overacted and it doesn't make sense. It's fucking twenty twenty two. Your daughter can have a party with boys there. Shut up. She was defying the patriarchy by having a party with boys. So after they rat her out, they show up at her place and try to warn her but Cassie's like you guys suck and then the witches are chasing Mike <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny it's pretty funny it Mike Mike running away from the flying witches that's pretty that's pretty good and then Cassie sees that and she's just kind of in it and she's like oh okay so that's what we're doing so he has inadvertently led the witches right where they wanted to go and they just lock him out and leave him for dead they're like oh is that your boyfriend running from the witches well <laughs> you can't save everyone <laughs> 
<laughs> they close the door and they're like, well, we never really liked him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. I love the sisters interacting with the Alexa. Okay, good. That part is funny. Ben Winnie. Midler screaming and running away from it. That's... <laughs> there is a small woman trapped in that box. <laughs> yeah, some truly powerful witchcraft indeed. It's a very smart house. I'm I'm afraid of Alexas and Google Homes. Have we ever talked about that on the show? No, but do you know what? I this got me thinking about like because I'm always, you know, just sitting in my room thinking about the connection between science and magic, you know, that's what I do for fun. Um, I was thinking about how to someone from like 300 years ago, looking at like an Alexa or a Siri or a Google Home like would look like magic. This thing that we easily explain with technology or that we think we easily explain with technology. Those I mean, they're basically like familiars and servitors. They can get you information. They can do things for you. They are kind of just our little like magical like house spirits. Yeah, but the Disney Channel original movie Smart House ruined them for me. Like I'm terrified that they're gonna like rebel and trap me and try to be my mom. Well, I'm going to tell you something. They are going to do that. (laughs) Let me tell you what I think is the most fascist fucking concept in the world. And it's a smart refrigerator. A refrigerator that tells me what I'm allowed to eat. No. No fucking thank you. We're not doing that. Becca, Izzy, and Cassie pretty quickly figure out that they're just going to trap the Sanderson sisters with a circle of salt in the garage. Yes. Like... Why uh, didn't why didn't they do that before? Allison put a circle of salt around herself. These witches are like, nah. <laughs> Let's trap them. We, t- we track it. We trapping you bitches. Yeah, I like it. I, I think it was a smart plan. They're smart I girls. I do too. Then, see, this for me was just a continuation. I was like, oh, they're still fighting them with witchcraft, but now there's three of them. Uh, your note says that Winnie is all over the place in this scene, and you're living for it. I am not. Um, there's just one particular part. Where she says, oh, lay thy burden down. Tis unattractive to hold a grudge. And Becca's like, you've held a grudge forever. And Winnie's like, and why not? (laughs) That is very you. So It is. It is. It is. It's so funny to me. Um, Do you know what is crazy to me about this scene is Winnie's shoes. Yeah, you get these close-up shots of them trying to leave the circle of salt and they can't. Winnie's shoes are so fucking extra to me. But mm-hmm. also, I want them. Like, I yeah, want I, them. I do like the shoes. I do like the shoes. I do like... <laughs> I think it's after this scene, but when they're trapped in the salt and Winifred's like, trapped in a circle of salt like a slab of corned beef. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I like that line. It has a lot of, like, really dramatic proclamations about how she's a failure. And I totally vibe with that. <laughs> I totally vibe with that. Especially like, you know how like when you're at work and like the slightest thing goes wrong and you just kind of like put the back of your hand on your forehead and you're like, oh, my life is meaningless, you know? (laughs) Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye. So I like, yes. (laughs) Sarah's like, let us bewitch them with a song. And the girls just bail. They just leave. (laughs) They're like, nah. (laughs) "Nah." And Winifred's like, don't tell people we are about to bewitch that we wish to bewitch them. (laughs) I like the scene in the garage. 
So Mike blames Becca for the witches being there and the whole group has this emotional breakthrough. I know I said I didn't want to talk about it, but I do like this scene. I don't really want to get into the drama, but basically the scene where the drama is resolved, I do like. Yeah, Mike is right though. Like about everything. (laughs) Like Becca is a witch and it is her fault. Like, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Mayor Trask gets home and upon opening the garage door, Mary clocks his small bus small I didn't, <laughs> I didn't love that line I love that line I think that's what I did like the most about Mary in this movie is just that she has this weird way of saying things it's an element of her character from the first one that's just a little bit overdone in this one for me I like small bus because you know in the original they were on a bus but they were never in a car so so to Mary it's not a car it's a small bus <laughs> yeah the witches are like fuck you and he's like I'll be the reverend, but not really. I'm going to go inside and put this caramel apple in my ass. Okay, so I love the mayor in this scene. I love that he has a meltdown over his caramel apple. Mm. And I love that he calls them the gothic golden girls. Yes, that's my favorite part of this scene. There's the gothic golden girls in my garage. So after he goes inside to do whatever he's going to do with that caramel apple... The Roombas show up and free the witches. Because they hate Mez. I'm you I have to hope that if you'd ever owned a Roomba, you would think this is funnier. I, I don't know. I don't know. So they're trying to make up and the witches just fucking kidnap Cassie. Gilbert has gathered all the ingredients and he has like this brief redemption where he tries to extinguish the dildo, but he can't do it. Well, so they I mean they made him get he was gonna die. He either had to do this or die. So like Gilbert You know, he didn't really have a choice. Everything is all his fault, and he's kind of an antagonist, but he didn't really have a choice. Well, he had a choice on whether or not to bring back the Sanderson sisters. He was just... Yeah, no, he did He did done fuck that up. He was just misinformed. So, like, fine. He thought, you know, he was trying to be understanding about what witches really had to go through during that time period. He was thinking of them as real old world women and not these evil caricature witches that they are. And so that was that was his mistake. Granted, from a modern perspective, from modern witches, it's a great outlook to have, but just not necessarily the right thing to do. So I think I think the narrative somewhat makes Gilbert look like a villain, but to me, he's also just sort of along for the ride like everyone else. I don't think of him as a villain, even if the narrative makes him an antagonist sometimes. You know what I think of Gilbert as? A stupid gay. Just like a really dumb gay. A stupid gay who worships an iconic woman for no reason without knowing anything about her. That's... Yeah. So so you're right. You're right. I'm Gilbert. Um, that, that makes sense. Winnie fucking Prue Hallowell's him. Like, Just across... Just forever. <laughs> forever. Like, across fucking town, man. Like She, like, Aunt Marge's him into the sky. Is <laughs> what it's, she does. It's insane. So, um, so they get to the sacred space. Gilbert goes flying. They start doing the power spell. I, I do just want to say, though, that, that I love that Becca and Izzy watch Gilbert fly away, and then they're like, nah, let's help our friend. <laughs> so, Magica Maxima... Oh, by the way, we're doing misspelled for a third time. Um, Magica... <laughs> <laughs> Magica Maxima is the most, like, detailed, in-depth spell that I think that we see. In most media, actually, it requires a lot of things. Um, it has to be done in a sacred space. Thank God we have the woods. I guess because the spell is like so powerful and important that you have to be in a special place to uh, make it work. The head of a lover. Interesting 
ingredient. Um, I do like that when they're discussing how to obtain it, you know, Sarah just wants to go fuck someone and then take his head. That's her solution. I actually think it's a pretty good solution. They probably wouldn't have been trapped in a garage. So it also requires something called Aurelia juice and witch's butter. I don't know what witch's butter is, but I almost wonder if it's like similar to like a witch's like ointment. It's fungus. It's fungus. Witch's butter is... It's a tremella mushroom. Well, let me tell you what I found about Aurelia. Aurelia is a genus of trees, and it doesn't look like any of them have berries, but one of them is the Angelica tree. (laughs) (gasps) Okay, so lots of Angelica here. Apparently. Um, I like that the petrified spider is just a stuffed spider. It is a stuffed animal, but why not? Yeah, and a drop of the enemy's blood. Finally, a drop of enemy's blood. I don't really know about any of these ingredients. They all just seem really... Chaotic. Yeah, really like Macbeth, you know? Um, The witch's butter is interesting. I didn't know that that it was called that. That part's really the only thing that makes sense. Can we talk about substitutions that we might use for this before we get into the chance? Oh, I love that. Let's do that. Um... So, if I were doing a spell for power, it required some sacrifice like this, for the head of a lover, I would probably use semen. I, that's what I was thinking, too. I would use jizz, yeah. Get some jizz, or just something from him. Yeah, Um. I guess, I mean, you could get your hands on a petrified spider if you wanted, but I would maybe, I would maybe do something else. What would you use for a petrified spider? Well, actually, you know, it's really easy in occult stores to find those um, like preserved like spiders and scorpions and stuff mm-hmm. and like all kinds of like resins and stuff. So that would actually be pretty easy. A drop of enemy's blood. I might use like a dragon's blood resin if I Maybe. had some on hand. I feel um, like the drop of enemy's blood is to add an element of like being victorious. Like you're already like basically by going out and obtaining a drop of your enemy's blood, you're already kind of saying to the world that you're all powerful. Okay, you so if we're, going, if we're going that route, the substitution that I would use is High John the Conqueror root. I was thinking about Head of a Lover. I was thinking about um, Balm of Gilead, actually. Because, oh, because, it, because of the heart association. Yeah, because they're often substituted for heart, or they represent hearts. I guess if you were, if you were wanting to obtain these quickly... Yeah, I would still I would still mm-hmm. go with semen for me. I'm not going to like go out and scrape a tree to get witch's butter, right? So I I guess maybe I would use like I would use something that I associated with witchcraft and power or possibly a pre-washed and pre-sliced mini bella from the grocery store. Cuz funguses grow under like kind of harsh conditions, so I guess that that's kind of the association that you would want to be able to like mm. maintain maintain through hardship, I guess. Hmm. But I would maybe use mandrake root. Yeah, mandrake root. I actually really like what you said about dragon's blood. Um, that's just what I would associate with, like, power building. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Their altar is, like, a tree stump that has, like, crystals growing out of it. and Which is cool as fuck, yeah. It is cool as fucking concept, but I really have to agree here that this part does look like a cheap drama club made it. <laughs> yeah. Cool mm-hmm. as fucking concept, lacks execution, but I'll give it a pass. It was a really good idea. If I had a tree stump with crystals growing out of it, I would use that as my altar, yes. Well, you know what? Maybe like the Aurelia juice, since that's the one that's like not, that you couldn't easily find since it's not a real thing. You could maybe do like a quartz crystal. I also like the the requirement that it needs to be chanted seven times. Yeah, I love what they say about it. Um, Mary's like, oh, don't you hate that? You make one mistake, you got to start all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hecate hates yeah. that, you know? 
<laughs> yes. Um, I really like the spell, and I'd love to read it, if you don't mind. Go for it. I call upon this sacred land to raise the power within my hand. The north, the south, the east, the west, give me more than I possess. Underneath the full moonlight, I sacrifice my love tonight. And in return, I ask of thee, Magica Maxima, give to me! And then a big burst of light shoots up out of the tree stump and creates a lightning storm somehow. The caveat of the spell is in the lyrics, but (laughs) Winifred still doesn't get it. So that's unfortunate. But I guess the point is that ultimate power always comes with a price in every narrative that it's in. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. If we were going to do a spell to amplify our own power, we could do something like this, right? Yeah, I just think this is so backward. Well, I mean, she's like, they're all doing it together. They're doing the spell together. And Sarah and Mary are putting in about as much work as Winifred is. And so if I wanted to raise a whole bunch of power, my first thought would be, let me get my witch friends involved. Like, let me get some other witches. I'm not saying you can't do anything by yourself, but I have witch friends and casting spells together is fun. So why the fuck wouldn't I do it? Yeah. How do you feel about this trope, though, that magic always comes with this horrible, insurmountable price to be paid. I don't like that trope overall, for sure. I mean, I think I, t- I remember talking about that in the um, the Aviva episode, mm-hmm. you know, how that notion like really kind of bugs me. But I do think that the goal of having ultimate power should always come with a price or the risk of corruption, because that's, that's more of a mythos about like the human condition and the history of the world rather than just like some obscure myth about spell casting you know yeah like ultimate mm-hmm. power always does come with a price and it always does corrupt and it never brings you happiness and it does take things away from you but people still go after it i mean let's talk about donald fucking trump who really thought that he was going to achieve ultimate power and he still has a lot of like insane devout followers but his life is completely falling the fuck apart and i think that's just one basic example of what a quest like they're on will probably result in for you. I would say that magic and spells in particular always come with a need for balance more than a price to be paid. And you just have to focus on what those energies are. But if you're on a quest for ultimate power, there's definitely going to be some drawbacks to that. And so Winnie throughout the course of this, there's a warning about what the spell does that she doesn't care about. She has no interest in that. And so I guess we could find a parallel here of maybe some witches out there who just like want all the instant gratification and none of like the studying and caring about balance and things like that. Do you think the words of this spell could be used for anything a real witch might do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would omit some of the things about sacrificing love and... Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Something that I like about the spell is that it draws on things like... I call upon the land by these directions. Like it's bringing in that energy from somewhere. Yeah. That part I would incorporate. Um, I would cut the parts about having to sacrifice things that I love. Yeah. It calls on sacred land, the four directions and the full moon. So that's pretty, that's pretty good. So for the sacrifice, I would, I would do instead of my love, I would be like, I sacrifice my wine. I sacrifice my semen. I sacrifice something, you know, Mm. 
I like give an offering in place of that. Mm-hmm. I would I would incorporate like a give to get thing that's not getting rid of something that I treasure and hold dear. I'm just imagining you casting the magic of Maximus spell in the middle of the woods while jacking off. I mean witchcraft. Yeah. Misspelled. So Izzy is basically like, you're a witch, bitch. Let's go save our friend. Um, and the Sanderson sisters are really surprised that Becca is a witch. Yeah, they don't love it. But then they like make fun of her. And they're like, oh, you're <laughs> such a weak little witch. Um, this is where this is where Cassie sold herself to me. Because Cassie is like the, the one who's like, no, let's use violence. Just like Allison would have. You know? Yeah, they start fucking pelting them with pine cones. Yes, Cassie says she's got her own coven, you witch, and starts throwing pine cones at them. Go, Cassie. It's but it's what she had, you know? And like, I'm there for it. Like, they kidnapped her, they cut her, and she throws pine cones at them. So Sarah and Mary suddenly get zappy powers and stand up, and Sarah stands up to Winifred, which Siren really likes. I do love it. I Love it. And I know you've noted that it ha- it lasts for like two whole seconds, but I kind of liked that part of it too. Yeah, um, I just like that it happened because in both movies, Winnie always treats Sarah the worst. She like hits her. She pushes her around. She's really mean to her. She's not nice to anybody, but she treats Sarah the worst. And mm-hmm. I like that Sarah had this moment. Um, I also love that her, re- this is the moment where I start to love everything that Sarah says and just the way she says it. And I know you don't agree, but I love when she says, she asks everything like it's a question because she's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really endearing to me. She says, I am s- suddenly powerful. <laughs> the thing about it is it's kind of formulaic for Disney to have one really, really stupid character. I know. Um, and I feel like it's doing that. The movie won me over with the next part. Like, this is the part that I will always love no matter how many times I watch it. Becca sways the book to her side like a dog it's like it's like the scene in air bud where the dog has to choose between his mean clown owner and the little boy oh i've never watched air bud apparently i'm missing out i didn't know there was a mean clown and a dog actor (laughs) yeah it's the book is like a dog and i don't like it i'm okay with that because the book to me the book is winnie's familiar Yeah. You know, Winnie has the book and Sarah has like every man she meets and Mary has her Roombas like they've all got a thing. But I like I like that Becca talks to the book like it's a person and then the book sides with her. I like books, you guys. I would get along with a sentient book so much better than a real person. Yeah, especially since it like can actually talk to you. It can. It opens the pages it wants me to read. We're yeah, fine. it's it's just like it would just perpetuate your echo chamber of your own ideas. If the book told me not to do a spell, I wouldn't electrocute it. I'd be like, OK, let's do this other spell. Let's burn down their house. You know, the new coven makes up super fast and they consult the book. They read the warning and then they decide that they have to go tell the Sanderson sisters what's about to happen. So it's almost like they try to save them almost. They do. They do. But they're too late. And they are too late. There's also this whole thing where they have like a magic shield and they're witches together, witches forever. And then they light the relinquishment spell on fire. Wait, no, that's a different show. Never mind. 
I did like this, though. I like that it almost seems like the magic, like, started growing in Becca, but it didn't really become what it was supposed to be until she shared it. And that's the point. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. The scene where the scene where it takes all three of them together and then they become more powerful. And because, you know, you really think we're going in this direction where, like, it's just Becca. Becca is the witch. But no, when we realize they're all witches, mm-hmm. like, they didn't have to be born special or whatever, like Becca was. Yeah. Like, Izzy and Cassie are just as much witches. Because Cassie is fearless and brave and ready to fight, and Izzy has the knowledge. I think that they complement each other really well. So they do go try to save the Sanderson sisters and to, like, talk some sense into them. But they're too late. And the final incantation is finished. And um, they think they've won, and they're all powerful, and they're about to fuck up Salem, and they're celebrating, and Mary's doing her finger guns, which is silly. It is. I I don't even know what I want to say about it. <laughs> I, I don't like it. It's dumb. It's silly, but at this point, I feel like it's the direction they wanted to go in with her. So I don't know. So the new coven shows up and tells Winnie that she's about to lose what value what she values most. And her sisters start to fade away. I'm sorry. Sarah breaks me every time she says this line. The wind is stealing my fingers. <laughs> it's so stupid. Every time. It is. It's so stupid and it's so sad. <laughs> I love it. Um. So they both disintegrate. And honestly, I thought it looked better in the original. This the super CGI. Also, they take so long to die. It That's takes the forever. Difference. That's it the takes... difference. They got these whole. And I feel like that's that's why it happens. If they had just like poofed into nothing, I don't know if we would have gotten the same emotional breakthrough from Winnie. I don't I don't think we would have. But because there's this lingering moment of them dying slowly, that's that's why we get the emotional change. Yeah. Um so they poof away into glitter and then we get Winnie's Winnie's redemption moment, which I'm sure that you love, but I do not love it. Um, I am excited to hear what you don't like about it. It just doesn't feel like her. It feels, it feels like, well, let's make her a good guy now when that's not really the point. It just doesn't feel like an authentic direction for her to go in. Yes, she cares about her sisters. Yes, she loves her sisters. I don't know. It just doesn't feel super authentic to the character for me. Like, sure, she would be upset, but I don't think that she would then, like, plead for help. It, I find it very, I I find it interesting, and I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a redemption moment. Like, we can go ahead and call it that, but I don't necessarily feel that she is redeemed, if that makes any sense. She's definitely, no. like, done a, like, a whole 180, but I don't leave this scene thinking, oh, Winnie was good after all. That's not what I think. I think that... Winnie is evil, but she's still a human being under all the evil and all the camp. And this one thing that we can find relatable to her is that she cares about her family. And the movie has repeatedly force-fed this message to us from the beginning. And for that Mm -hmm. reason, I don't think the redemption, quote-unquote, is unbelievable. I think that we've been building up to it the entire time. You know what? You just used a phrasing that that kind of pinpoints what I don't like. Really? What did I say? Because I already forgot. Force fed. This is forced on us. This, oh, I love my sisters. Don't take my sisters away. My sisters, my sisters, my sisters, my sisters. She's horrible to her sisters. It is forced upon us. And that is what 
makes it feel so disingenuous to me. It's a forced through line the whole time. This was fan service, is what this sequel was. Well, I'm okay with that. You, I mean, you can be okay with that, but that doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't... That's, that seems like a weird critique to me. This movie, while they did things that would make fans of the original happy, how stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It feels pandery to me. It just feels like, look at this thing we made. Look at look at all of the references to 1993 when you were happier and the world wasn't on fire. Um, I'm which good is, with that too. I will say that I did not, I did not predict the ending at all. The ending surprised me. I did oh, me not too. Pre- I did not predict a redemption for Winifred. Certainly. Um, I didn't think that they would get to finish the spell. Like, I I didn't know. I did not see this coming. Me either. It was a surprise. It was just a surprise I didn't care for. But I think it is, like, successful for what it was trying to do. It just wasn't... It wasn't the most believable part of the movie to me. I think the most believable part of the movie to me was the scene in the garage. Uh, uh, this scene... This scene gets a little less for me every time I watch it. And as I've mentioned, I've watched this movie seven times. The first time I watched this scene, I was sobbing like a bitch. <laughs> um, I'll just tell you that. You did not actually cry. Did you actually cry watching this movie? Several times. Um, oh my but God, the last Simon. time, the last time I watched it, I was a, I was much less affected by it. But overall, I just think... Like, what's the ultimate message we're supposed to get here? I think it's in the same place as the original. It's all about how, like, family and love matters. And I think it's really great that with Becca, Izzy, and Cassie, we're expanding that definition to found families, which is what they are. And the parallel to that is Winifred is an all-powerful witch now. She can do whatever she wants. But because she's lost her family... It all means nothing to her. And you may not think that that fits in line with her character. And you may be even right about that. But I like what it means overall. I can give you that. Yeah. So this is the point. This is the point at which I wanted to say that I think that Mother Witch cast the Magicka Maxima before she meets them. Well, she definitely did. Because if you pay attention to the scene that she's in, uh, her eyes glow the same way that Winifred's do. Uh Well, I mean, she was basically telling them that without telling them. She gave up the book to them. Because she doesn't need it anymore because she's all powerful. And also, as we've learned, the book doesn't really like her anymore. It doesn't like that she did the spell. She sees the three of them together and it makes her wistful for the coven that she sacrificed. She killed her own coven to become all powerful. And she sees them and thinks maybe this is a chance for it to go better. But of course it doesn't. But I do sort of feel like because Mother Witch is flying around through the whole thing, you know, I think Mother Witch kind of approves of Becca, Cassie, and Izzy now having her book. Winnie asks the book for help one more time, even though it's betrayed her for Becca, and it doesn't, but then it does. The book gives Becca a spell to help Winnie. Oh my god, it's our fourth misspelled. <laughs> oh my god. Her friends build power for Becca with the Ichitakapata Malika Mystica chant. I loved when that happened. Um, I loved it. It was really nice. It was really nice. It was a nice little moment. Um, Becca's reading the main part of the incantation and it goes as follows. Lost and gone and out of sight, we cast the spell to reunite 
what was meant to be together will be now until forever. I, this is kind of a love spell for me. I liked this spell a lot. And this is why I wanted to do a fourth misspelled on it. Because I think the writing of it is so different than all the spells that Winifred does. Yeah. It's very different. It's, it's, it's like poetry. And the way that Becca says it, I think is really beautiful. Do you think that maybe the book changes with whoever possesses it? Yes. So I wondered about that. When this spell appears, you know, the book does the Book of Shadows thing from Charmed. It flips open on its own. It reveals the page. And the way Winifred talks about it almost makes it sound like, like, I don't know, like this is part of their initiation or something. So Becca is keeping this book that is made out of human skin. Yeah, she is. And can sweat. Um, And can sweat and cry and has a active looking eyeball presumably from the person whose skin it is made out of or people um (laughs) one of the people or people so i think that anything is possible um but i i assume that the way that becca intends to use the book and the way that winifred used the book has altered the way that the book is presenting itself this spell reads so much differently yeah than than anything that winifred has ever cast so yeah I I suppose it's possible, but I think this sounds like a love spell to me. Mm -hmm. I think as a reunion spell, I like it. I just like the spell in general. I think it's really pretty. The what was meant to be together thing. I know. I guess that allows for a little bit of failure. Like what if the universe decides I'm not meant to be together with the one I'm trying to reunite with? I don't know about all that. I don't usually like to give the universe space to do what it wants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no me either i like it because it it could potentially lead you to who you are meant to be yeah with, which leaves it open-ended or even like i mean like what if i fell out of touch with a friend or like what if my dog ran away you know like i could see this spell for something like that and i think you could use it just like this and just hold an image in your heart and so do you think this spell would just straight up kill the person in front of you <laughs> Um, no, probably not. Um, so the spell kills me. <laughs> sends does. her to her se- <laughs> Um, she's all powerful and immediately chose to die rather than be without her sisters, which is lovely. It's sweet, right? But I, I just don't care for the softening of her and that's okay. I cannot like it and still have it. I'm okay you know. with villains that have relatable aspects to them so maybe that's kind of what it felt like for me i guess so so gilbert and headless show up and we get some physical comedy gilbert puts the head back on and is like i'm gonna set the record straight you were gay and then billy Um, immediately dies and becca's like hey i'm gonna keep this book and uh you're gonna give me some discounts because you fucked us over because you like kind of ruined our fucking night even though it turned out okay so that's the end of the movie uh they they walk away. They're walking down the road. They do that like little. <laughs> they do the the creepy witch walk, and as they do it, Mother Witch flies overhead. And just when you think With it's a... over, we get another version of the witch's back. Yeah, because everybody asked for that. Um, I did because you know they don't get to do the number in whole the first time. So I loved that. Okay, I thought the, the the three girls doing the witch walk together was an iconic fucking ending. And then when there's immediately a musical number afterward, yes, I'm happy. I mean, I could listen to Bette Midler sing all day. So Phoenix, do you have a kill of the day? My kill of the day is... My kill of the day is my spirit 
for having to have watched this like six times. Oh, lay thy burden down. (laughs) Uh, My kill of the day is Sarah. The wind is stealing my fingers. Gold. She's pure gold. If I were going to rate this movie, I would give it a meh. Um, this is my new favorite movie. <laughs> I love everything about it. It gave me everything I wanted. I've watched it seven times. <laughs> and I think Siren has bad taste. So I think this is like the most we've ever disagreed about something. It is. Um, it's going to really be interesting to hear back. But you know, like I've said before, this is, I love this about our show. I think this one may have been a little more tense than any other time we've disagreed but I think that uh, well, this kind of dialogue is what we're about and what we should be about. That's okay. This is an opinion-based show. So Yes, as Phoenix told me to reassure me the other day, we're not pretending to be anything that we're not. We're just two faggots who like Charmed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So here at the end of the episode, we do want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about Phoenix's gooch. <laughs> I don't have a response for that. (laughs) Damn. Not where I thought that was going. Um, So at the end of our first episode on Hocus Pocus, we discussed a little bit of controversy around the announcing of a sequel. And now we have some more controversy about the sequel. Other than the fact that, like, there's really mixed opinions about it. There is this lady named Jamie Gooch, who is absolutely insane. Siren, what do you think about this lady? Well, let's, I mean, let's, let's give her some context before we judge her. Um, Jamie Gooch is just this woman who like did a Facebook post about the movie and then they put her on the news (laughs) to talk about it. I mean, it seems a little exploitative, but, you know, she agreed to do it. But basically, she um she thinks that Hocus Pocus 2 will um negatively affect your children. And she's got a lot of impassioned speaking on that. So, Phoenix, you think she's uh, crazy? I think she is cuckoo caca insano. Um, okay, first of all, it's a movie. Um... And, like, her not wanting her children to watch a movie about witches, cool, fine, that's, like, your decision, whatever. But to perpetuate this idea that Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy and Jimmy are casting spells on you through your TV is nuts. So I thought that I was going to think she was crazy. I watched her on the news a couple of times. And honestly, any of you out there listening, you should really watch it too. Just have some context for what we're talking about. Um, I do think that she and I fundamentally disagree on matters of spirituality in a way that on her behalf is somewhat cuckoo bananas. (laughs) (laughs) I do, but I also feel like she... like sort of mixed in with that made some points that I don't necessarily disagree with. Like she's basically saying overthink the media that you expose your kids to and vet it. And um, she said it in sort of an insane way, but I think her ultimate worry was that people don't think about the way media images do affect their kids or themselves even. And I guess I kind of have to find common ground with her there because that's the whole reason that we have a podcast. Yes, but, but but she is, she's still crazy. And I understand what you're saying, and I don't fundamentally disagree with your statement. I do, however, disagree with her statement because of where it's coming from. It's coming from 
a very radicalized, single-minded Christian perspective about witchcraft that is false. And granted, she didn't say anything that was, like, incorrect about the movie, I guess. you know. She didn't. She did not. <laughs> it's just in context of where she's coming from. There's one thing that she says where she's, when she's talking about thinking about and overthinking the media, which I agree with, again, your statement, Siren. Um, she says, think for yourself. This lady is not thinking for herself. She is thinking in terms of, like, things that she has been told and taught through the church, which is another form of media consumption in a way. And that no, and that's totally correct. I guess just the what the vibe I I think that she defended herself pretty well when she was on the news when they were asking her questions like, what do you say to people who think that you're a batshit moron? And she's like, well then I'm not for you. Well also though that like, well this just isn't for you statement is a way to deflect and not actually think critically about things that you say or do. I suppose that's true. But if someone criticized our show for, you know, turning kids into, like, homos who want to have sex with their stepbrothers, <laughs> then I would just have to be like, well, then our show's not for you. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. But to, on the other hand of that, we have very publicly said we do not want children listening to our show. So... At least I have said that in the past. Huh. Maybe we should say that a little more publicly because I can't remember ever saying it. I guess I... It's not anything that I've not heard before from, like, really fundamentalist Christian people about witchcraft and witch media. I mean, it's the same thing, like, kids that I went to private Christian school with that couldn't read Harry Potter. Like, it's the same thing. It's just on the news now. It's always been on the news. I remember the Harry Potter thing in the news, probably because I'm older than you. Yeah, you're ancient. I am. But, yeah, it just feels a little dangerous to me in terms of, like, I mean, Hocus Pocus is not a good representation of witchcraft, but there are people like Jamie Gooch who are going to think that it is. And I think that that is really unsafe for real practitioners and part of the reason that we do this show. Yeah, and the message that she is trying to spread is that witchcraft is bad. So we, of course, I can't, I cannot defend her in any way there. And also, why is it lately that all I do on this show is defend the indefensible? What is wrong with me? I ask myself but, that question every time I record with you, Siren. Um, I just, I guess I appreciate her overall message at the end of overanalyze the media that you're consuming. If there's any common ground I can find with her, it's that. And you enjoy that common ground. I'm going to be over here being a faggot and practicing witchcraft. All right, Siren, where can the people find you? You can follow me at Siren Spectacular on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow my Facebook page, Siren Spectacular, non-binary meme wit. Uh, you can follow me at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood on Instagram. You can follow me at Phoenix Arcana underscore on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at WVRcast on all social media platforms. You can send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. If you are so inclined and would like to support the show, you can support us on uh, Buy Me a Coffee by searching our name or WBRcast. Yeah, do that. I would love a coffee. Yeah, I definitely need a coffee because we've been sitting here for three hours. So can we sign off now? Mm -hmm. All right, all you all-powerful sorceresses. You stupid, slutty, beautiful enchantresses. You sadistic, maniac, cannibal witches. And to all of you witches out there. The modern witches. The witches of today. The new covens. Until next time, keep on witching. And bitching. 
Happy, Happy Halloween! Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to talk about the post credit? There's a post credit scene? You didn't watch the post credit scene! Ah! What happened? You don't know what happened? Listen, by the time I finished watching the main part of the movie, I did not want it to be on anymore. Okay. So what happens at the end is that we're back in the magic shop and Cobweb the cat is like, oh, wow, I better stand guard over this box that is labeled Black Flame Dildo number two. (gasps) (laughs) I swear to God, if this is the third one of these movies, I'm going to be so mad. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? 